0: Hello, and welcome to the Conversations with Data podcast, where we bring you the most interesting discussions around data journalism. I'm your host, Tara Kelly, and today, ahead of International Women's Day, we'll be talking about the gender data gap. Joining us is Emily Corey Pryor, Executive Director of Data2x, an organization which promotes the acceleration and use of gender data for advancing gender equality. As journalists, we often encounter missing data when we download a data set. It's one of the frustrating challenges that we face when coming up with story ideas. Whether it's your national statistics office or a UN portal, the issue is particularly a problem when it comes to telling stories about women and girls. Emily talks to us about Data2x's latest report on mapping the gender data gap, along with what role journalists can play in filling those gaps. Let's take a listen to our conversation with Emily. Hi, Emily. Thanks so much for joining us today on Conversations with Data, and happy International Women's Day.
1: Thanks, Tara. It's such a pleasure to be with you, and happy International Women's Day, month, week, year to you as well.
0: So I thought we'd just start from the beginning and talk about, you know, what is gender data, and why are women and girls being left out of the picture? Well, thanks for that
1: question. Um, So I, I think it might be helpful to kind of start from what the internationally accepted definition of of gender data is. So the official UN definition is data that's collected and presented by sex as a primary and overall classification. It's data that reflects gender issues, is based on concepts and definitions that reflect the diversity of women and men and capture all aspects of their lives. Um, This also means that it's developed through collection methods that take into account the stereotypes and social and cultural factors that may induce gender bias in the data. So what that means is that it's not only about whether or not data is sex disaggregated, but it's also around the things that influence the way that data is collected, um, the ways that you know, we as a society are um, the ones who design surveys, who design the types of questions that we try to to get data about. And so we're therefore influenced um, by the kind of social constructs around this. Um, Now, this also doesn't necessarily mean, I wanna be clear that when we're talking about gender data, that it's only data about the lives of women and girls. Gender data also could be data about men and boys. And of course, we also recognize that Gender does not exist in a binary. But when Data2x, the organization um, that I'm privileged to to lead, when we talk about gender data, we're thinking about the data that is either available or in many cases not available um, and how that data influences how we're able to improve the world for women and girls. And our, um, our position is that because for so many years, women and girls have been misrepresented or left out completely from the data that we have for uh, policymaking, um, and that data is, in fact, the data that's used for creating policies and programs, then if women are left out, there's a fundamental problem here um, in making sure that the policies and programs that will benefit all people are including the kind of information that's needed on, on women and girls.
0: And can you talk to us about um, the gender data gap? like? What and where are these gaps happening?
1: Um, Sure. So so I think in terms of a a little bit of a, I guess, precursor in terms of thinking about why and where or where the gender data gaps are um, and on what topics, it's also a bit of of the why. Some of the examples to think about are that if you think about surveys, surveys are often done at a household level and they are designed to be asked of the head of the household but if the head of the household is assumed to be a man, um, then obviously the way that a man might answer questions and the way that a woman might answer questions are different. Um, so there, there are different ways um, in which uh, this kind of this gap in the data that we have can get introduced into the system. Another, I think, really important aspect to, to think about, which gets to, to your question around you know, where the gaps are, is that the things on which we collect data are the things that we're prioritizing, right? You you collect data in order to answer a question that you have about um, something within your community or within your country of how do we solve for X? But if you're not thinking about um, asking the questions that affect certain groups of the population, then you're not going to try to get that that information and that answer. So one good example of this is thinking about unpaid care work. So historically, we really did not have um, a lot of data on unpaid care work. Women's work, um, mostly, predominantly women's work inside or outside of the home that went unpaid was not seen as a labor issue and as a result that information wasn't collected and so that problem was um or that reality i should say was obscured um so when countries were trying to think about ways to improve women's participation or increase women's participation in the labor force, they actually did not understand the way that women's time was being spent in the first place. So if we're not asking questions um, and if we're not prioritizing understanding certain aspects of people's lives, then we're just not going to have that, that data. Um, to your question around you know, where, where gender data gaps exist, you know, these gaps are all over the world. They're in every type of economy and they're in every sector, which maybe that's not <laughs> the good news that you were hoping for. Although, you know, we're talking about this, uh, I, I suppose, because it's a challenge that we need to solve. Um, but it, it is, uh, I want to make sure to, to point out that it's not a, a problem that is only combined to one type of economy or to one sector. And actually one of the very first things we did when we started Data2x back in in, uh, 2013, we did this mapping. It was this uh, really kind of first effort to put our arms around every different development sector. So looking at health and education and economic participation and political participation and peace and security to really understand what's going on in terms of what gender data is available on each of these topics and what gender data is not available, um, and, and, and what does that tell us? And so we found, well, well I said, we found that there were gaps everywhere. Um, it's, it's interesting when we look back on it, and when I look at that work, health is one area that, relatively speaking, although there were gaps, certainly, it was an, er- an area that had, you know, a pretty solid amount of data when compared to others. But in part, that was because, um, there had been historically quite a lot of data collection about um, women of reproductive age and sort of understanding um, that sector of people now of course what that meant is that women and girls who were not representative of that in in those data sources were women who fell on either side of being a woman of reproductive age which is 15 to 49 so there's a lot of years <laughs> that exists outside of the 15 to 49 time range and so um, I think that's just one example of, of the types of gaps um, that I think have have emerged and, and will continue um, I think to that we will continue to follow and, and try to work on um, and we're actually now updating that mapping um, because it's been about five years uh, since we did it in the first place. But we've updated that work to try to reflect changes um, in both the gender data landscape, but also in general in the global development lands- landscape. Um, so, you know, I guess I would say maybe we'll talk about that more later. But. The, the overall, um, you know, punchline, unfortunately, is that, you know, the gaps, a lot of these gaps still remain. Um, some new gaps have emerged, and we have a lot more work to do.
0: Now, Data2x, you guys have been working on this problem for quite some time. What is your organization doing to close these gender gaps? Or rather, gender data gaps.
1: Yes. Well, we're working really hard to try to close these gender data gaps. Um, and, you know, we are an independent civil society group. One of the things that we do is we focus on really building the case and mobilized action for gender data through research and advocacy and communications work. And really what we're trying to do with this is to show what the critical role is that gender data plays in efforts to achieve gender equality. So so essentially, we're trying to kind of connect these two worlds that have often been kind of separate, right? So the data world and the gender world um, have have often operated on different tracks, um, and they're different communities of people. And what we're trying to motivate is an understanding that data collection, you know, that having quality data, which is something that any, um, you know, talented, committed statistician or data scientist would want is quality data, right? That quality data can't exist without that data being quality gender data as well. So gender has to be a part of quality data. And on the gender equality side, making the point that we as a gender equality community cannot accurately or adequately serve the populations that we seek to serve or track progress or point out when, where progress isn't being made without that quality data. The other aspect of our work is on trying to directly augment and improve the production and use of gender data um, itself. So we do this by um, partnering and working directly with data producers to try to strengthen data collection We've also done quite a lot of work on experimenting with new data sources. So looking at big data and digital data sources to see the promise that those might have for improving insights on women and girls. And then we're also working quite a lot on building more of a global um, level of gender data expertise. So trying to support organizations. So these are UN organizations, um, country-led and regional organizations, who are really doing work at the country level to guide gender data production
0: and use. And so what does it mean for researchers, you know, to collect this gender sensitive data? Well, I
1: think that we do have to be more mindful of the research process. and I think that some of this is about, um, like I was saying earlier in the interview, thinking about the kinds of questions um, that we're asking and the assumptions behind some of those questions as well. To really go about answering this question thoughtfully, we need to kind of specify that there are different types of data that might intersect with some of these research communities. So one type of data is that there's the data that governments collect and then turn into what is called official statistics. So those are um, statistics that are provided by a national statistics office. So one example of this kind of official statistic is the census. But there are also other surveys that governments will do to get information on specific issues. So going back to an example we talked about earlier, One of those things that a government would collect information on is the labor force. So they're called labor force surveys. The governments will do to understand, okay, who's participating in the labor force. Now, there's also an additional type of data um, that's a result of of utilizing government services. So things like school enrollment data um, that a school system would collect to to keep track of the number of students and of the type of classes and performance um, and things like that. Um, These types of official statistics have an organizing mechanism at the United Nations and the community, which represents every country, works together to establish best practice and standards. So a lot of our work, um, when I was talking earlier about some of the things that we do on that kind of two-part, both building the case and mobilizing action and then strengthening production and use of gender data, a lot of our work um, on that second category has really been on working with kind of these UN um, processes to influence the guidelines to make them more gender sensitive um, and, and really trying to advocate for the idea that governments who are wanting to collect better gender data um, and more gender data should follow those guidelines and then of course push for further improvements. Um, there's also data that researchers intentionally collect in order to answer a specific research question. Um, this is incredibly important and I think this goes to the, maybe the kind of research you're talking about. Researchers have to ensure that they're taking every opportunity to ensure that those research questions are gender sensitive from the outset. And then, of course, that the data collected to answer those questions is, is of high quality. And then the last piece, um, I would say, uh, in terms of these types of data that researchers should be thinking about is big data and digital data, which I think every researcher, um, no matter what the sector, is thinking a lot about big data and digital data these days. Um, And by that, this is what I mean is this is data that we are all passively generating every time we interact with technology. One issue uh, that we need to think about related to big data, especially when using it for research questions, is that women and girls, if you're thinking globally, women and girls often do not have the same level of access to technology as men and boys. So we have to be careful to not assume that the resulting data represents everyone
0: equally. Some people mistakenly believe that the goal of collecting data about women and conducting gender analysis you know, is simply to understand the situation of women, you know, how do you respond to that?
1: So it's a great, it's a great point and something that, that, that we think about quite a lot. So the first thing I'll say is that um, it's very important to note that gender is not synonymous with women only. Gender encompasses all gender identities, including male, female, non-binary, gender fluid, transgender, agender, and more. So it's a big word um, that encompasses many people, all people. And while Data2x's work focuses primarily on data about women and girls, we of course recognize the importance of the need for data to adequately and appropriately represent all genders. Um, But when we are thinking about what our mission is, what the Data2x mission is, our mission is how do we improve the information that's available on women and girls to improve their outcome over the long term? And a way to improve that information about women and girls is to improve gender data, right? But improving gender data can have uh, ripple effect on really everyone at the end of the day. For an example, understanding how much time a woman devotes to unpaid care and household work help us understand her family's financial picture, her children's access to education and social norms within her community. So having a better picture of women really benefits everyone because gender data often leads to policy changes that improve economic, social, and political conditions for all.
0: So going back to the Mapping the Gender Data Gap report you guys are launching this week, um, can you tell me some interesting nuggets or notable numbers in there? Anything surprising that you came across when you were putting this report together?
1: Yes. So we're really excited to be be releasing this. Um, We're calling it our SDG, Sustainable Development Goals, era update um, of, our, of our mapping gaps. So it's sort of funny to think, oh, wow, you know, I started Data2x before the SDGs existed, right? And now we're in a very different um, kind of uh, uh, place in terms of the focus in the global development community and at country levels of measuring um, and really tracking progress or lack of progress uh, according to the SDGs. So it felt very important to us that this mapping of the data gaps Um, be updated uh, to reflect, you know, the kind of this new, this new um, factor of the sustainable development goals. What this report does is this time, it looks not only at the five original domains um, that that we had in our first report, But we've also added a sixth domain, which is the environment um, and climate change, which is an important change um, and an important thing, I think, to realize, oh, five years ago, what we were thinking about, even from a gender data perspective, versus what we're thinking about now. Um, So it looks across these six domains, so health, education, economic opportunity, public participation, human security, and the environment. And um, this is really the the effort here, of course, is to identify what the major gender data gaps continue to be. Um, We also wanted to use this opportunity um, to highlight all the work that's happened since the last iteration of this report and point readers to where they can find information that does exist. So it's kind of, you know, where the first report was just the very first attempt to lay out and map out all of all of these um, these different gaps, this report not only says, okay, here's where, where we are on the gaps, but here's the work that's been happening. So it's part report on on current state and part progress report on where we've been over the last five years. So one of the things found is, um, when you're asking about surprising things, is that, you know, maternal mortality is one area where there's been very, Um, significant progress in increasing and improving gender data collection since 2014. Um, But, you know, what constitutes a data gap does not remain the same over over time, right? The questions that we ask, um, the questions that we need answers to don't stay the same in a five-year time period, Um, which is why I think this SDG period is, is kind of such an important one because... When the sustainable development goals were agreed, that came with a whole new group of questions that we as a global community needed to really really grapple with. As the world changes, our data needs do too. And if we are going to um, collect that data accurately and adequately and with quality, um, we need to be thinking from a gender perspective about all of this data.
0: Um, So from your perspective, like, how can journalists tell stories differently? So there's a bigger push for this, where we're more sensitized to gender in our storytelling.
1: I mean, I think one solution is what you're doing, right? Is is the fact that you're asking the questions? I mean, that's a great talent of journalists everywhere, right? <laughs> is to uh, is to ask ask questions, um, and where information is missing, to point that out, and and to then ask more questions about why it's missing, and and how do we how do we fix this? And so, um, I I would say that you know, from from my standpoint, um, from a Data2x perspective, I see journalists as really such a critical ally in this, um, because after all, what we're saying is the questions that need to be answered cannot be answered because we do not have the information to do so. So um, I think that journalists play that role um, and and a really critical role on pointing out that this is happening in the first place and being a part of that solution and continuing to ask those questions. I think that also um, there's an opportunity in terms of thinking about how journalists tell stories with data and how journalists tell stories about data. And this is something we've really seen over time um, as we as an organization have have, kind of grown over the last few years. There are a lot of times where journalists, um, of course, there's a a very robust data journalism field at this point. Um, and, And that is so important for journalists to be telling these kinds of stories with data. So incorporating statistics and having data visualizations that help readers relate to the topics that they're writing about. But the other part of stories um, or of data journalism that we need are stories about the data and about the lack of data, right? So I think this is where you come in and where this interview comes in is that, you know, if we keep ex- exposing this issue, then that's what gets people to really kind of pay attention um, to the fact that the missing data that exists is really critical to trying to solve the problems that know, we hope to address. And I think that, you know, at its, at its core, because we lack information on women and girls in this case, that's what we focus on. Because we lack information on women and girls, how can we possibly hope to make the world a more gender equal place when we don't even have the information on half the population? And I think that that very basic question is one that journalists can continue to push on and to ask about and to think about, um, and to write about in, in their, in their work. And so I really hope that we can continue to have journalists as allies and, and advocates. Um, I also think some, sometimes it's about, you know, journalists, um, finding ways and finding the people who are, um, you know, already highlighting this. So I feel like just in the last few years, we've really, gotten to have some amazing champions um, on gender data who are people who journalists do cover and and think about and and pay attention to and write about. So these are champions like Melinda Gates and Her Majesty Queen Maxima of the Netherlands and Her Majesty Queen Rania of Jordan. They're all wonderful champions um, for gender data. It's also thanks to authors like Caroline Criado Perez, um, who's a, a UK author who Um, wrote a book called Invisible Women, which I'm guessing you've heard of, um, but would encourage your listeners to to take a read of it. Um, All of them have done so much to really drive urgency um, on this issue and and help this gain prominence. But I think that for this to really take off, for us to not only be able to make this point that I'm making to you now of we need equality and information if we want equality in the world, we have to have more champions um and that's going to require and really rely on journalists to to help make that point
0: as as a journalist we often download a data set and we're missing we're missing all that data and we can't tell those stories about women or men cuz it, it doesn't specify that and particularly with the developing world so i'm just wondering is that something you know how can we fix this
1: I mean, I think some of the ways to, to fix it is to, um, I, I do think some of it is to, to keep writing about it, because this is not a new problem. The lack of gender data is not a new problem. And actually right now, thinking about the point in history that we're in, this year is the 25th anniversary of the Beijing Conference on Women. That was a very landmark moment, right, in in global development of really thinking about, um, you know, how women are critical actors in all aspects of life. And 25 years later, here I am with, you know, two, you know, one five-year-old report and one soon-to-be released report mapping gender data gaps, and they're still there. And so, why is that? Well, I think it's because. Um, there was not enough urgency around actually fixing that problem, right? Of, of, okay, what's the what's the work, what's the hard work that then needs to be done on improving our data systems um, to, to really to really correct our data systems for the future? And I think that it's it's really important to think about um, in this, thinking about how journalists write about it, but also thinking about it quite frankly from how we talk about it, of Thinking about data systems, you know, these systems for collecting data, they are not, um, they've happened over a long period of time. They've been developed over a very long period of time. And I do not, my personal view and and our organizational view is that I don't think that there's intentional sexism in the way that those systems were set up from from the get-go. I don't think it was intentional, but I think the, the fact remains that because we don't have information on half of the global population, there's a problem with it. It needs to be fixed. So even though it was not intentional, it is unacceptable and it is within our power to change. And I think that it is an absolute imperative that we do so at this point and that we don't let 25 more years go by where we say, Oh, you know, to achieve the sustainable development goals relies on having all these different parts of gender data um, and, well, we still don't have them. So, how do we, how do we fix that? Um, it, in part, is convincing people who are leading data systems to make the changes that need to happen. And I think there's a lot more willingness um, and openness to that um, uh, in, those, in those sectors. It's about getting country governments to prioritizing having gender data and seeing that it's a challenge and a problem, right? So so understanding that data is not neutral and that that it needs to be adjusted. I also think that there is much more understanding of that um, around the world. However, I think that one of the problems, um, where one of the problems comes in, and this is where I think journalists can be very helpful, is that in some ways, the problem comes down to having the right level of financing to make data systems kind of fit for purpose for a more equal world. And there are absolutely financing gaps that exist when we think about gender data. We actually did a study last year with um, a group called Open Data Watch, who is a, a great technical partner to us on many things. And this was just looking at official development assistance um, uh, and looking at that, we, we, uh, we estimated that there's somewhere between 170 to $240 million gap each year in the amount of money that needs to be going into statistics and around the world. And so, obviously, this is a big gap, right? In, in funding, um, a lot of that would be funding, and that's only in ODA, right? So that's that's not counting um, the money that governments, including developing country governments, are already putting into their to their own systems. So this is a pretty big gap, and I think the real the reason that that gap exists is because it is very hard to get people to want to invest in data infrastructure.
0: Great, well, thank you so much for talking to us, Emily. That was super fascinating listening to you and hearing all this really interesting information about gender sensitive data and how many gaps we need to close. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so many well and there's going to be more you know once our once our report comes out um we'll have really detailed information and, and would love for you to share it with your with your readers um or your listeners i guess i should say even though it sometimes it feels like like i was saying you know this is not a new problem right um and it feels sometimes like you're just kind of pushing this boulder up a hill um but i also do feel like uh, I mean, I'm an optimist, and so uh, I think you have to be in this work. But I feel like there—I feel like some of the conditions are ready, right, for 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 this to kind of tip, you know, for us to kind of get to the top of the of this hill that we've been pushing up, um, and to say, you know, there's so much more attention and interest in data than there has been in the past. There's so much attention and frankly, just utter impatience with the, the, the slow level of progress on gender equality at this moment. And so how do we capitalize on both of those things right now um, in order to really make sure that we supercharge the gender data movement into the future? So I just want to thank you for your time and, and energy and commitment to this. And um, you know, if there's anything that we can be doing to, to help as you do your own reporting, we'd be delighted to do so.
0: Marvelous. And people can download it at data2x.org. Is that correct?
1: Yes. Data2x.org has the report. It also has a whole resource center that um, has not only reports and, and, um, and, and tools from us, but also it's a place where we try to gather great work from all across the field of committed people who are working on gender data.
0: Thanks so much, Evelyn. Yes, thank you. It's great to meet you. A big thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this, you could subscribe to our podcast channel on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash data journalism. I've been your host Tara Kelly, and that's all for now. See you next time.